0: something pretty powerful about that song, isn't there? I'm glad to be able to sing it with you. I'm glad to be able to be here this morning because I absolutely love this season. I love just the joy that uh, people have in their faces. I I love the opportunity to sing all sorts of songs like this, and I love the opportunity to preach the greatest story. Not just about a birth, but about a life. But that song is always, it it doesn't matter which version I hear. In fact, I put uh, two versions on the U version notes, two different uh, groups singing um, that song. And they're just absolutely beautiful. Just almost haunting in some ways, just how beautiful that song can be. But I'm not the only one who likes that song, I realize. Uh, I'm sure most of you are aware of the country music star Travis Tritt. If you're not aware of him, that's totally fine. You probably don't like any country music then. But if you know anything about country music, you know Travis Tritt. And uh, before Travis Tritt became famous, he had to play in a lot of bars and other seedy kind of establishments. And uh, he said at those bars, it was a pretty rough place and people would get into fights. Now, Travis Tritt isn't an especially big guy and there's not much a guy with a guitar can do in a fight. And so whenever he saw... You know, the, uh, the, uh, the biker guys heading for the pool cues and the, uh, the uh, rednecks heading for the gun rack, ready for a fight. He had one shot to, uh, to stop this. You know what he would do? didn't matter if it was middle of July. He would begin playing on his guitar, Silent Night. Everyone would stop. They would all watch, and some of them with tears in his eyes as he was shaking for his life up there. But Silent Night, just the playing of it, had the ability to stop a bar fight in its tracks. Not saying that that's what we should start using that song for, but maybe there's something about it. Maybe there truly is something about that song, not just the music, but the words that are that impressive even to the seedy establishments of this world. Travis Tritt learned that. Maybe we should as well. Because this song is powerful, not just in the fact that it was well written. This song is powerful because it is bringing peace to hearts of unpeace. That's a word of chaos. He is bringing joy to a joyless nation, bringing an understanding of who is truly in charge and the beautiful gift of a coming king that would be Lord over all. That's what this song talks about, and it's fantastic which leads into the prophecy we're going to be talking about this morning. So for the past several weeks, we've been leading into Christmas with this looking at different prophecies about the coming of Christ. Who he would be, what, when he would come, what he would do, and especially how he would die. These prophecies are all over the Old Testament, pointing to the fact that this guy, this Jesus, is legit. He comes from a... Very long line of prophecies, and he fulfills every single one of them. So the prophecy that we're going to be looking at this morning is actually three prophecies by one prophet, by the guy uh, name is uh, is Daniel. Now, when we think of Daniel, we often think as as you probably would about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the fiery furnace. You might think of the handwriting on the wall, or maybe Daniel in the lion's den. All of those are fantastic stories found in the book of Daniel. And consequently, just to plug in for the auditorium class, they're studying that. Um, So, if you want to study more of that, come to the auditorium class Sunday mornings, and and you will dive further in to that study. But within the book of Daniel, there is three major prophecies that are pointing to when the Messiah would come. And and I stress the when, because it's with almost uncanny ability that they are prophesying when jesus is going to come when the messiah is going to come I, I just want to help illustrate this for a second and so i'm going to i'm going to pick on chuck and audrey here because that's what you get from pick, sitting up front so if you would if i were a prophet i might come over to chuck and audrey and say you know what the beautiful daughter ellie one day hold on she's going to get married she's going to get married to a nice young man i know it's already a bad story it started off bad She's going to get married, and she's going to have a beautiful young lady herself. Now, that little young lady, your grandchild, is going to find another nice young man. He's got to be nice. Going to marry, and lo and behold, they're going to have another beautiful little girl. Now, that little girl is going to grow up, and she's going to become president of the United States. Okay, if I were a prophet, this is what I'd say. Not only that... But from the date that she gets married to the date that uh, that, that little girl becomes the president of the United States, is going to be 104 years. Mark my words, 104. All right, that'd be cool, but I'm not a prophet, so in other words, I just made all of that up. And and if it all came about, it would be by sheer luck. But see, that's not how Daniel worked. Daniel was inspired by the Holy Spirit. He was given a vision of things, and he not only was able to say where the line was going to go, he was with uncanny ability able to say, and here's the year it's going to happen. And I love the book of Daniel whenever it talks about the coming of the Messiah because there's so much going on in this, in, 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 this chapter, in this whole book that sometimes we gloss over, sometimes we miss because of all the fun stories of the book of Daniel. Now, as I said... The first two stories in the book of Daniel are really, they are, there's three major prophecies. The first two fall into a broad scope of kind of vision. They're just kind of this vision of things to come, and it's not really fully clear, but I want to I at least look at those a little bit. The first one is a dream that God gives King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, whenever he gets this dream, he's pretty scared of it. Because it, it frightens him, as it should. Uh, he gets a dream from God. It's going to frighten him. So he, he gathers up all the enchanters, all the astrologers, all the wise men of his kingdom, and he doesn't just say, here's my dream, tell me what it means. What he says is, you tell me my dream, and then tell me what it means. And no one, no one can tell him that, because no one knows dreams, except Daniel knows God knows dreams, So Daniel comes in to the king's presence and he says, I can't do it, but God can. And and here's what he has shown you when you slept at night. You had a statue. There was a statue, and on on that statue had a head of gold. It had a chest of silver. It had a torso and midsection as bronze. It had legs of iron and then feet of a mix of iron and clay. And Daniel goes on to further say all of those represent kingdoms that are coming and looking back in history We can understand that the head obviously was the Babylonians This is the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar. He's the gold head Uh, The chest and arms of the silver would be the Medes and the Persians that would come and conquer uh, the Babylonians And then along uh, them led by Alexander the Great would be the Greece, uh, that empire And then after that would be the Roman Empire, uh, divided into the legs of iron, which is ancient Rome, and then the feet of iron and clay, which is more so the restored Rome, uh, which was a kind of a mixture of a couple things. That's not necessarily the important part. That is showing a time scale. What becomes really important is this. As you watched Daniel 2.34, as you watched, a rock was cut from a mountain, but not by human hands. It struck the feet of iron and clay, smashing them to bits. The whole statue was crushed into small pieces of iron, clay, bronze, silver, and gold. Then the wind blew them away without a trace, like chaff on the threshing floor. But the rock that knocked the statue down became a great mountain that covered the whole earth. All right, so if the statue was representing all these kingdoms, this rock, if you were to take a wild guess, you might guess... That it represents the Messiah, and you'd be right. This rock Peter would even talk about would be the in First Peter one, or sorry, First Peter two eight. He says this is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. He's alluding back to this prophecy that Christ is this rock that will demolish the kingdoms that have tried to be set up, set up before. He would demolish the empires of this world and by the rock coming and not just hitting the full statue, by hitting specifically the mix of iron and clay, the prophecy is saying this rock is going to come during that kingdom. And he's going to crash that kingdom. And all those kingdoms will pass away. All right, so that's the first of the major prophecies. The second is a little bit different, but it has the same flow and really the same kind of point. The second of the major prophecies of Daniel here is, is that Daniel has a, himself has a vision. And in this vision, there are four beasts that come out of the deep. That's a scary vision because these beasts are are not good. They are not described in any nice terms. So we're not going to read them right now. But he describes four beasts that come. These are meant to represent those four kingdoms that the statue represented. Uh, You have the the Babylonians, the Medes, and Persians. Uh, You have then Greece and then Rome. They are all coming. But notice what I love. It's what happens whenever Daniel continues his vision. So Daniel 7, it says this. As my vision continued that night, I saw someone like the Son of Man coming from uh, within the clouds from heaven. He approached the Ancient One and was led into his presence. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. Again, picture of the four kingdoms that are going to come. The one they're currently in and the next one's after it, uh, of the timeline of when the Son of Man is going to show up. But where the first prophecy showed that he's going to demolish the empires that were there, they will be like chaff in the wind. This one shows that he's going to establish a kingdom that will be eternal. So whenever he comes and demolishes all the kingdoms, he will set up a new kingdom that will reign forever and ever. Now when Jesus comes, he he doesn't talk about this kingdom in terms of of earthly kingdom. In fact, that's what made his disciples kind of question whether this was really the Messiah and others question because he didn't talk about this kingdom of being something physical, something like what they were used to. He talked about it in terms of his body, He talked about it in terms of his church. And see, now we on the other side of this realize that what Christ established as his church was a kingdom that continues to reign. It is a kingdom that you are part of, that you're invited to be with. It's a kingdom that will reign and last forever. And Daniel foresaw this long before Christ made it realized. I love this. But those are the first two of the three major prophecies. The third one focuses on when. The first two focus on it's going to happen sometime in the Roman Empire. The third one says, let's narrow this down a little bit more. And it happens in an interesting little story. Uh, And Gabriel is the one who shares the explanation to Daniel. And this is whenever Gabriel has been kind of Held off. He's not able to get to Daniel uh, quick enough. It's a really fun story that I don't have time to dwell on. So just know, Gabriel is the one sharing this with Daniel. He said, "A period of seventy sets of seven has been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish their rebellion, to put an end to the everla- uh, to, Sorry, to put an end to their sin, to atone for the guilt, and to bring in everlasting righteousness." To confirm the prophetic vision and to anoint the most holy place. Now listen and understand. What Gabriel is doing here is he's saying that um, there is a time scale. There is a timeline in which this is gonna happen. These visions that you've seen, all the way back to Nebuchadnezzar, that you saw him, he saw a statue, and now you saw the rock coming in uh, during and it hitting, hitting the feet, and the whole statue crumbles. And then you remember those beasts that you saw? All of those are pointing to the Messiah is coming. This one, Gabriel is saying, here's when. He says 70 sets of seven, or some of your translations might say uh, sets of weeks. That might be a little bit um, misleading understanding the weeks, because it doesn't literally mean weeks. The sets of seven is more uh, the understanding of the Sabbath year. If you uh, remember back in the Old Testament, they had uh, the farming especially. Um, They would work their land for six years and give it a rest for the seventh. That is the context in which this is understanding is that a set was seven years. So in other words, 70 sets of seven would be 490 years. What Gabriel is saying is that from the time that the announcement is given to restore Jerusalem, to rebuild the walls, is the timeline that he's given here. That's the start of this. It'll be 490 years later whenever it will be realized here's the fun part there is there is a long explanation about the dates and how they work and i'm going to spare you a lot of that i'm going to give you the quick explanation it is considered that king uh, artaxerxes issued the decree to rebuild the walls of jerusalem in 457 bc so 457 bc plus 490 years you know what you get there i didn't finish the rest of that passage did i That's where the timeline comes in. I'm sorry. I didn't finish the rest of it. 70 sets. So 457 uh, B.C., 490 years later, takes you to about 33 to 34 A.D. You know anything that's significant happening around that time? This is cool. It doesn't matter how you slice it. What's really awesome to me is that you can look at, well, what about this date? How does this work? The coolness is that that prophecy actually fits. This covers the the ministry of Jesus, the birth of Jesus, his ministry, his death, burial, resurrection, the establishment of the church. Daniel saw it, prophesied about it, yet people were still missing. They still missed the point because they were looking for the wrong thing. May we never be accused of that. May we never be looking for the wrong thing. See, when Christ came, he came on the shoulders of all the prophets that said he is coming. And he comes and he fulfills all the prophecies, but even more so. He establishes his kingdom that will reign forever. He establishes a church that will not just be a nice little entity. It'll be the kingdom that will destroy all the empires of this world. It'll be the kingdom that changes lives, even one at a time. It'll be the kingdom that will endure forever. See, when Christ came, when he became human, he didn't just come for us to immortalize some sweet nativity scene. He didn't come to make a silent night because it's so peaceful and serene. He came on a holy night because the rightful king has showed up to establish his kingdom. That's what the holy night means. That's what the peace to all men, the joy to this world is talking about. Is that the rightful heir, the rightful king, the one who's in charge, the Lord and Savior of all, is here. And he wasn't just back then. He is still here. Here, his body still exists. And you get to be a part of that. And that's that body that changes lives. I want to close this morning by a, with a story about a changed life. The man who gave his life to Christianity, and it changed him forever. The story is a man by, by the name of Joseph Moore. Now, Joseph Moore was an illegitimate child he was born in Salzburg, Austria in 1792. Now, Salzburg in this time was a, uh, a pretty religious, at least with moral standards, uh, kind of city. And especially whenever it's viewed, uh, whenever it viewed illegitimate children. And so the city imposed a fine upon the mom of this fatherless boy. And this fine was so much so that she was pretty humble in her means. She was sewing. She barely making ends meet, it would cost her a full year's wages to pay the fine for having an illegitimate child. Just imagine that for a second. Well, story goes that ups, uh, it steps in a gentleman that wants to pay the fine. Now here's the, here's the catch. He wants to become the godfather of this child. Now the problem is this is the fierce executioner, mo- mo- most feared man in the whole city. This executioner wants to be the godfather of the son. He's hoping to save his reputation. Uh, but the problem is, it may have saved his, but it ruined Joseph's reputation. See, Joseph wasn't able to enter school because no one wanted the godson of the executioner in their school. He was kicked out of most things, and taken, most things were taken away from him. But one thing they could not take away from Joseph? His voice. And Joseph could sing. And so he sang everywhere he went. He loved to sing. It happened that one day he was singing next to the the, the stairs of the monastery, and one of the monks, who happened to be the choir master for the cathedral, heard that voice and said, you know what? That voice is too good to be wasted. So he found Joseph's mom, and he he went over to uh, Joseph's mom and convinced her to let let him take the boy and train him in in, in Christianity and train him to be a priest, but mainly to train him for the choir. Now he proved to be a really good pupil. By the age of 12, he had mastered the organ, the piano, the guitar, and the violin. He was really good. Well, he kept on working and kept on growing and he was really good in music to where it came about 1815, that he was ordained a priest and was given a congregation to work with. Three years later, one of the worst nightmares for someone growing up using organ music in their church, biggest nightmare, Christmas Eve service. See, most of the Christmas music in that time was just for the organ, but their organ broke. So Joseph Moore, not wanting to forego the music of that wonderful night, pulled out his guitar and started singing a song that you know. It was a song that he wrote a few years back. It was a song about the love of a Messiah who took in an illegitimate boy and gave him a home, gave him a purpose and changed his life. So I'm going to ask you to sing it with me again. You've already sung it once. But the song is Silent Night. Silent night. Hope. Joseph Moore understood that Christ can truly change lives because he came to establish a kingdom that Daniel saw a kingdom that would tear down all the other kingdoms of this world, a kingdom that would last forever. And the cool part is, this kingdom is not restrictive. It is not restrictive from boundaries around some land that you have to be born into this and and call it good. The thing is, anybody is welcome, but there's still some requirements. You have to be born into this new kingdom, but that's a born into a choice. So you get to choose to accept the gift that, that is offered of citizenship into this kingdom. You do that by being born again. What is that? Well, it's baptism. It's Following through with what Jesus not only did himself, but what he did for us through, through his death, burial, and resurrection. It's a picture of that. And in the process, not only do you, are, do you become a part of this kingdom, but you become washed from your sins. You are given a new life. You are changed forever. See, that is the kingdom that Christ is inviting you to. Not a kingdom that is questioned of whether it's going to shut down next week or not. Not a kingdom that is bipartisan and and messed up in its own right, although it is a good place to live. This kingdom is ruled by a perfect Lord. And you wouldn't want to have it any other way. So this morning, if you want to be a part of a kingdom that truly will last forever, if you want to be part of a group of people that is changing the world because this is the kingdom that God has established and he's at the center of it, we want to invite you to not just come and see the little baby. We want to invite you to come and see the Messiah, to come and see the Lord. So this morning, if you're in search for some silent night, some holy night, then would you let it be known as we stand and as we sing together.